0: All right, let's pray. Father, as we turn to your word, and we remember that you have brought us here today, and that you are still speaking through your word, reminded that. In Ephesians, the Holy Spirit tells us that we are to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, with our heart, giving thanks always and for everything to you, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Jesus. And so, Father, as we open the word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have the freedom to move, that you would teach us about your church, that we would never forget that you said that you will build your church, and that the gates of hell, the power of Hades, would never prevail against it. And so we ask that you would manifest your presence here, as we open your word, that it would be exactly what you intended it to be, living and active, that it would pierce us where we need to be pierced. And uh, we're grateful for Jesus today that we can enter boldly into your presence and make our requests. So we love you in your name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. I'm glad you're here today. This is a... uh, A little bit different of a series than maybe what we would always do, but we started a series last week called Making Sense of the Church. And so we have committed now that we are a little over a year old to begin this process of talking about what it means to be uh, an integral part of a local church. And we're saying it that way strategically uh, because the Bible doesn't really ever talk about membership in the formal sense that you and I think about it. And uh, the, the rub for us is that we don't want to put a contract on what God calls a covenant and what God puts forth as a covenant. And so uh, as we walk, started to walk through that as a leadership team, we uh, just sensed that we probably needed to slow down and walk through what uh, Jesus was talking about when he said, I will build my church. What is the church How do we make sense of this thing, the only thing that Jesus ever said that he's committed to building? And so we're taking several weeks through the summer to go through that. And so last week, all of our technology went to pot, and so we don't have any of the recordings of last week, so I apologize if you were here. And uh, many of you, no fault of your own that you weren't here. But uh, so here's the promise I'll make to you. We're rolling out a couple of things um, to help you engage in the sermon process, and uh, give you some places to connect with me, ask questions. I know we can't always stand around and chat for hours on end afterwards, but um, if you have a smartphone, one of these guys, uh, there's a Bible app called YouVersion Bible App, Y-O-U version Bible App. If you download that and create an account and log in, there's a little section under the menu called Events. If you go in there, and under events, you will see it's done by location where you are. You'll see Redeemer City Church, and you can click on that, and uh, there'll be an outline of my notes on what I'm teaching on. You can take notes right in there. Um, there's also a link to our email address, so if you like are just mad at me or I say something stupid, and you're like, I'm emailing him later. Uh, we just went ahead and made it easy for you. You can just touch that right there in your app while I'm preaching. It'll come right to me. I won't look at it yet, but... Uh, Um, If you have questions, you can do that. There's links to the other pastors' uh, emails there as well. Uh, But most of all, it puts your Bible and your notes if you are a a, a smartphone person. And uh, that's where you carry your Bible. I made that easy for you. But then next week, we're going to roll out also uh, some of those mini binders with the same thing. It'll have um, the sermon notes each week. And uh, you can take real notes if you're like me and you need paper And a Bible, uh, like the Holy Spirit intended. (laughs) No? Is that not biblical? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) But uh, so either, whichever your preference is, um, we want to help you engage in what we're doing. We believe that uh, the Bible is the Word of God. And so we spend a lot of time doing certain things here. And uh, a few of them are critically important. And uh, one of them is prayer. If you uh, have been on our website, you have looked at our values, it says that we pray a lot. Uh, We are committed to that. We also study the Bible a lot, and uh, we want to keep doing that. Um, So last week, let me just bring those of you up to speed who were not with us last week. We began with this idea, not even an idea, but uh, this calling where the Spirit in John chapter 6 is drawing people to Christ. So the Bible says that nobody is going to come to Christ unless the Holy Spirit draws him to Christ. John chapter 6. And out of that, there's this thing called the church that Jesus is building. And the Greek word for church just means a congregation, a gathering of people. It was a word that was used for other congregations and gatherings in that time period. But um, what is the difference when the church of Christ gathers as opposed to just any other gathering. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who like community, but not everybody loves Jesus. And so how, how does that kind of community differ from every other community that is out there? And so we defined what the church is and thinking through that. And here's, here's what we said. It's a congregation associated by covenant to the faith and fellowship of the gospel, I'll define that in a second. That observes two ordinances instituted by Christ: baptism and communion. And then it's, of course, governed by Christ's laws and exercising all the gifts, rights, and privileges in them as expressed in the Bible, in which there are two offices, elder and deacon. So um, we're brought into this church that God has specifically defined in His Word and uh, given us things to carry out. And then ultimately, uh, what we came to the conclusion of last week is we're ambassadors... Of Christ, we're His representatives, left here on mission for Him, and uh, there's this appealing aspect of the church, though, that uh, fleshes itself out in three ways. And uh, the first one is to be holy. The church is to be holy, and I'll I'll give you these notes next week. We'll put them in the binders, and uh, we'll make them available to you. You can email me if you want them ahead of time. But but here's what we talked about last week: the church is to be holy. First Corinthians three sixteen and seventeen. The church is to be united, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4, and there's other scriptures that go with this. The church is to be loving. And what uh, is important is why. Why is the church to be holy, united, and loving? The bottom line is, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I think we have this on the screen, uh, verses five, chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. Do we have that? No? Okay, let me just read that to you then. Here, here's what is important. It says, For while we are still in this tent, this body, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us, this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So the Holy Spirit comes in, and then we have this guarantee, this seal. Verse 6, so we, um, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, but we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are a good, of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Listen to this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then you drop down to verse 14. And here's what is so important for us this morning as we talk about the church. For the love of Christ controls us. We're to be holy and loving. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God and and, and has who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Why is that so important? Because apart from the gospel, none of this happens. We have three values here. Love God, share good news, and serve the city. And so as you dive into love God, you realize very quickly that apart from the good news of the gospel, the church doesn't exist, your relationship with God doesn't exist, righteousness is impossible. Paul says in Romans that no one is good. Why? Because the standard isn't the people around us, the standard is God. And so when Jesus walked the earth, he said this, he said, be perfect because I am perfect. You should struggle with that verse. That should bother you a little bit because what what is the reality that every one of you and I live in? This is class participation. What is the reality? I'm not perfect. So why would God look at me and say, be perfect? And then Paul says, no one's good. No one seeks after God. Isaiah said the same thing. Where does that leave us? in need of a savior, in need of a savior, and then the savior comes at the end of chapter five there and does this for us, he becomes sin so that we can become the righteousness of God, so the gospel is integral to you being a vibrant part of this local church, because the gospel lays out your ability to be holy, loving, and united. Because let's be honest, if, it, if unity is left to us, <laughs> apart from the gospel, you're going to be really annoyed by me, and I'm going to be really annoyed by you, right? You can say yes, it's Okay. To be honest, we're in church. We are the church. And so, what does that mean then? What, if the gospel comes and gives you righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Christ, you can be found right before God. And then the church is to be holy, united, and loving. Uh, why is that so important? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Do I have that one? Yes. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Here here here's where the rubber meets the road for you and I in church as the church together. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Individually, you are God's temple. And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. Somebody say, God's serious. For God's temple is sacred. And then here's a a key. And you together are that temple. Leave that verse up for just a second. So watch what's happening here. So the gospel, the good news that Jesus has done for you what you could never do for yourself. And then uh, other scriptures talk about the fact that he has adopted us into his family. We are a child of God, the Bible says, that we have all the rights of an heir of Christ. Mind-blowing enough. That's the first part. You yourself are the temple of God. You've been grafted in. You've been invited in. You've been. Uh, your sin has been paid for in full. Jesus on the cross, it is finished. You're in the family. You're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. But then you as an individual come together with the rest of the individual parts of the temple and become together that temple which is sacred before God. Why is it important that you are here and that you are an integral part of what happens here? Because we are the temple of God. And to God, that is sacred. And we wouldn't really need any other reasons beyond that. But God gives us a bunch. And so what I want to do today is just walk through a little bit of what it looks like to be an integral part of, a, uh, of this temple meeting together. The local expression of the body of Christ. Because there's some capital C issues that are, are necessary all around the world as Christians meet. But what happens when you come here? What happens when you show up at Redeemer City Church? What does God want that to look like? And so we are going to look at that today, and then we're going to take a few of the next few weeks to look at what some of the biblical examples of local churches are. Um, You know, Paul wrote letters to a lot of them. So we're going to look at that, and then uh, we'll take some weeks to look at the offices of the church, and uh, eventually we'll come down to uh, what it is going to look like formally to be an integral part of this local church. But let's start here today as what is the point of you being an integral part of this local church? It starts with doctrine. It starts with doctrine. So we're going to put these scriptures on the screen. They're in the app if you have the app. But uh, we're going to kind of move through them quickly. But look first at 1 Timothy 4.16. Okay, this is what Paul says to Timothy as he is starting out as a pastor Here's what he says. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So the charge that God gives to a pastor, to me, is to watch my life and doctrine closely. Why? Because it's important for both me and it's important for you. Literally to save us. Not a bad mantle to have to carry, right? It's important. The doctrine, what is taught here, matters. So whether you go to church here for the next 50 years, praise God, hope you do, or whether you will be moved out of here by God through some circumstance and you're going to go choose another church, uh, what is the doctrine? It should be biblical. It's not about what I think. It's not about what you think. It's about what God said. And we have what God said. And so we watch our doctrine closely. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. As that first early church began to meet, look at what it says that they devoted themselves to. The apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. If we can't get that right, we're wasting our time. If we're not devoted to what the apostles taught The Bible, fellowshipping together, breaking of bread is communion, and prayer, we're not the church. We're not the church. And so hopefully as we study this together and as we sort of break this down and look at this, we will be adjusting what we do here as well. That that as you grow, we grow, and we all grow because we're all the temple of God. And so they devoted themselves to those things. And then look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, as Paul writes to them. Here, here's what he says, as their pastor. says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Why is it important? That you are an integral part of a local church because you live in the United States of Idols. And it is easy to turn to a different gospel. Amen? Amen? It's the United States of America, I know. I did go and graduate as well. But is it not important that you have people around you that can recognize when you're serving an idol? We're going to talk in just a minute about what what repentance in a local church looks like. So I don't want to cut out of the bag, but you need the people sitting around you right now. You need me working diligently through the week to watch the doctrine of this church closely. And then we need to be able to have conversations about it. Because it's literally a life and death issue, according to the Bible. And so Paul, even as he planted this Galatian church and turns it over to a local pastor and moves on, as he is serving all around the world at that time, he was still watching their doctrine closely and sending word back, and God, through the Holy Spirit, has preserved it for you and I today that we should not turn to a different gospel. And so it's important that our doctrine is close. And so then out of that, uh, we interestingly uh, get some commands as to what attending a local church is important for. So I couldn't think of a better word than attendance. Although I don't like that. It's not like I get up here and I'm like, uh, Jake Ludwig, (laughs) check, Check. to say here. (laughs) All right, you know? And like, like we don't do a roll call per se, but why is it important that you come every week? Accountability. All right, But so let me, let me give you some scriptures here. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Do we have that one? All right, let's, let's listen to this. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, the gospel, it always begins, moves through, and ends with the gospel, always by a new and living way opened us, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And then here comes a few commands for the local church as they meet together says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, your doctrine, the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins in your place and your security is forever fixed in heaven. For he who promised is faithful. It's built on his faithfulness. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. <laughs> Imagine like being that guy that was being <laughs> written to. And Paul's like, S- just keep going to church, unlike a few of you. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. I love the phrase, I use a lot, with knowledge comes responsibility. After we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. So in, in this passage, here, here's why it's important for you to be an integral part of a local church, whether it's this one or another one. Because of the gospel, we have confidence to hold to the gospel to stir up good works by going to church and encouraging each other each other to stop sinning. Let's just flesh that out really practically. When was the last time you either told somebody or had somebody tell you to stop sinning? Whoa. But according to the Bible... It should be commonplace. It should be really common. Because he says, some of you got out of the habit of doing these things, so what's the direct implication of that? That we ought to get back into the habit of doing these things. Holding to the gospel. Encouraging one another. When we see people sinning, to have a conversation with them. Holiness, love, and unity are repeated throughout Scripture to be what we are to be. Holy, loving, and unified. So it's important that your doctrine be right. It's important that your attendance be right. Because if you're not here, we can't encourage each other to stop sinning, right? So, I mean, like, there's even practical things as to how we work that out, right? And so, we're wrestling with that as well. What does it mean to be a biblical, local church? Where, where is the space for you and I to do these things? Because he says they're meeting together to do these things. So, you, you can see why it's important for us to have this series, for us to walk through these scriptures and, and ask again, what, what did God mean that as we meet together that we would be doing these things, all the while being devoted to the things that they were devoted to. And so, doctrine, attendance, um, what about generosity? Jesus talks a ton about money, a ton about what where you spend your time and your money is so important. Uh, let's look at several scriptures here. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. It's also really interesting. It says that you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. He doesn't come right out here in the New Testament and say, hey, give your 10%. And, and why is that important? Let's, let's jump to Matthew 3, Malachi 3.8. Jump to the Malachi 3.8 for me. Because we, we have this thing in the Old Testament that's a really important question. It says, will a mere mortal rob God? Will a mere mortal, this is God speaking, God the Father speaking, Mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? Here's what God's answer is, in tithes and offerings. Whoa. Yes, we have to talk about money at church. Why? Because money's probably the biggest idol that the American Christian faces. It's just reality. It really is. And uh, go back to 2 Corinthians 9-7. When you you think about, am I robbing God, Um, it puts this in a little bit different light, doesn't it? You should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You can give five percent, ten percent, fifty percent, but if you do it with a grudge, God doesn't love that. You know the the ten percent number comes from the Old Testament word for tie that means ten percent. But uh, if you really dive into that and study that, that was part of uh, their system under the Lord, and part of their and so like as you translate that in the New Testament, uh, the Bible never affirms ten percent it affirms being a cheerful giver. But it, but it goes farther than that. Okay? Here, here, look at Matthew 6.21. Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, what, what's God doing in the Sermon on the Mount? He's taking all these things in the Old Testament where they th- where believers were thinking, okay, here's the line and here's where I can meet the line. And how close can I get to that line? without crossing it because that's what humans do in my opinion. <laughs> I don't have any empirical research. I just I've been a human for a while. <laughs> All right? And we just like where is that line before I fall off into sin? When God's asking a totally different question. God's not asking how much should you give? God's asking how much can you give? How how can you take care of your family and meet the needs because God said he would do that. He says, I don't even take care of the birds. They're not worried about it. How would that change your giving if you weren't saying, how much do I have to? How much do I have to? And you just said, how much can I? And that's an idle burning bonfire if you can let go of the idol of your finances. I say a lot. God will share his grace, but not his glory. And if you're amassing your own temple, God doesn't take glory in that. He doesn't share his glory. And so you, in your heart, before God, have to decide how much you can give, cheerfully. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4. Here's what Paul says, just so matter-of-fact at the end of his letter to the Corinthians. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So he's telling all the local churches to do this. On the first day of the week, each one at Sunday, say so you're making sense? you connecting the dots here. When you go to church, when you gather as the temple, when you, the individual temple, gather as together the temple, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come... No collections will have to make. You're doing it weekly. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. It's just a matter of fact. This is Paul's talk about doing missions. Here's one local church supporting another local church. We have two churches that support this local church. Why do they do that? Because it's normal for the church to be generous in meeting each other's needs but also everybody else's. Welfare started in the church. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 44. In case you don't believe me. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now if we had time, we would flesh that out into the context and it talks about uh, people selling possessions, selling land. Ananias and Sapphira, you know, they tell the leaders of the church, "We sold our land and we've brought all of the money to the church." A lot of people think they got killed because they didn't give all the money that they had, that they were supposed to give every dime they had. Well, that's not why God killed them on the spot. Why did they kill them? Because money was an idol. They were saying, they were saying, "Here, look at us. Look at us. We brought all of our money, but the Bible says they kept back part for themselves." When they, they, so they said one thing, but they were doing another, and God killed them. You should go read that story sometime. It's, it's amazing. Because Peter gives uh, Sapphira a chance to atone for the mistake that her husband made. And she didn't. And so God takes her life. God, God shares His grace and His glory. So when you flush it out practically, you, you've got to decide. You've got to look. Here, here's what's not an option, not giving. Not giving to the Lord is not an option. In God's economy, that is suicide. And But you, you have to decide. Paul says, in keeping with your income, what you should store up and give. But But we all have to give, all of us, every one of us. And uh, to to be holy, right? The Bible says elsewhere, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where things don't get destroyed. Right? So your your generosity is important. Not, not that I as a pastor, you know, there's some crazy folks out there who think like the pastor should come to your house and you should get out your W-2 and then I would tell you what you can give. Well, that's dumb. I don't got time for that and uh, I'm not the Holy Spirit, okay? That, that is not biblical. That is nowhere in the Bible where I would come to your house and get your W-2 out. W-2s didn't even exist back then, okay? So that's why Paul says, for yourselves, decide what you can give. The, only op- the option, though, is don't rob God, and you've got to give cheerfully with a smile on your face, as we say in the Coon family, with a happy heart, <laughs> right? So out of that, then, so you're attending, you're watching your doctrine, you're you're being generous, you're you're giving. Uh, what what else is there? The dirty R word, repentance. This gets even more real. Okay, so now now God wants to loosen your purse strings, and now He's going to ask you to repent. Look at James chapter five. It's another integral part of being. A church member here, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Why do we pray for sick people? Because it's biblical. Why do we not send them you know, up the road to a healing service? Because that's not biblical. If it was biblical, they'd go to the hospital and they would start healing people. What are we supposed to do when people are sick? Pray in faith, knowing that God can heal people. He won't always heal people, but He can heal people, and we've seen Him heal people. In faith, we'll make the sick person person well. The Lord will raise them up. Not, Not me, not anybody else. The Lord. If they have sinned, They will be forgiven. Therefore, anytime you see a therefore, you ask why it's there, what it's there for. Confess your sins to each other. So if all that's possible, what should we do when we gather together? Here's what it says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So now it's not just that the elders and the pastors of the church are praying over you. It's that you amongst yourselves uh, are confessing your sins to one another and praying for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer is probably your greatest weapon in this world. Look at this next verse. Elijah was a human being even as we are. Put his pants on one leg at a time. Actually, he probably didn't. He probably wore a robe. So that didn't work. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Then again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brother and sisters, if anyone should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from their error, from the error of their way, will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Amen. Why is it important that we confess our sins to each other? Because God's willing to heal people, God's willing to save people, and God's willing to cover over a multitude of our sins if we'll just live in community the way He wanted us to live. Some of you are scared because you're like, church is about to get real weird for the next few weeks. <laughs> and it might. It might. You see, because it's one thing to put on a show. It's another thing to be the church. Amen. And so I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't know what all this is going to mean, but it's going it's to mean something. We're going to have to start having church like the way this talks about because it's really, really difficult to find these days. That's not a knock on other churches. It's just as we go back to the Bible and ask God, and ask the Holy Spirit, teach us what you want the church to look like, be like, act like. There's elements that are not just suggested, but commanded. And so we want to talk about what that looks like, what that looks like as the church that God's assembled here. See, Redeemer City Church isn't this building. Praise God. It's the people. It's you and it's me. So then out, out of that kind of accountability in your attendance, your doctrine, your repentance, your generosity, as, as we're doing those things, um, there, there's some interesting aspects to that and I want to just move through these quickly um, about submission and your identity about submission your identity. Let's talk about submission first. Hebrews 13:15 to 18. Here, here's what this scripture says about me as your pastor. Maybe. Do we have that one? Here it is. Listen to this. Through Jesus, what have I been saying the whole time? It's always begins and moves through and ends with the gospel. Because apart from Christ, what does the Bible say in John fifteen five, You can do nothing. So this church happens through Christ. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly profess His name. Why do we sing? Why do we make a melody? Because we have the fruit of our lips is that we profess His name. And we offer God a sacrifice of praise. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. It's your finances, your generosity. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And then here we go. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy. Amen. Not a burden. Amen. Amen. For that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. A pastor doesn't just demand authority because he wants authority. You know, we are also in this process talking about what it looks like to ordain pastors here. The Bible says not to lay hands on anyone too quickly. Why? Because it's not about gaining authority. That's, that's actually a scary passage. <laughs> Go back to verse to the verse before this. Look at what it says. It says, "Have confidence in leaders. Submit to their authority." But it doesn't stop there. Why? Why should you do that? Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. So there's a second giving that I will do. (laughs) I'll go to the one where I was stupid and have to thank God for Jesus. And I'm going to go with how I kept watch over your soul. Why are we having this discussion today about what the Bible says of church? Because I believe this verse is true. Keep watch over your soul as one who must give an account. And so then the next verse, pray that I would have a clear conscience and that I would live honorably in every way so that as I'm keeping watch over your soul before the Lord, uh, I would be doing so in the way that God intended me to do so. And so these are things that the Bible lays out as critically important. Uh, for you. Look at 1 Timothy 5.17. Paul writing to Timothy again as a pastor. 1 Timothy 5.17 says this, the elders who direct the affairs of the church, well, (laughs) important qualifier, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Um, So my role here is really important. And the elders of the church, their role is really important because they're literally keeping uh, your soul before God. We're keeping your soul before God. um, And then walking with you in your growth as a Christian. Discipling you. So there's a submission aspect. And then the third one is identity. Perhaps the biggest thing we struggle with um, at Redeemer City Church even is being known. It's just being known. It's a lot easier to put up a facade and be what you want people to think of you instead of being you and letting us know you and you getting to know us and being a part of that. But listen to some of these scriptures. First John 3, 1. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Okay, so out of that, uh, we are the children of God. What binds us together? That we're children of God, that we're brothers and sisters in a family. Critically important. Romans eight fourteen and 17, 14 through 17 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought you, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So if you have doubts, doubt your doubts. Because if you have doubts, you're probably a child of God. Because people who don't care don't have doubts. They never worried about it in the first place. Now we are the children. If we are the children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His suffering, in order that we may also share in His glory. We're going to suffer together. We'll experience glory together. It's part of being the church. As the church grows, by the way, every single Sunday somebody comes in here suffering and somebody comes in here sharing in glory. And we have to learn how to share in those together how to do that together. Let me give you two more. Ephesians 1, 5. He predestined us for adoption to sonship. This this causes controversy all over the world every year, has since the beginning of time. you know. But what, what is God saying about this? Is he just talking about, I chose you before the foundation? of the Like, yes, that's part of it, huge part of it. But listen to this. He predestined us for what? We always talk about the word predestined, but what, what about what comes after that? For what? Adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, that God is actually pleased to bring you into the family. Why is adoption such a beautiful picture of the gospel? Because those of us who were once an enemy have become a child to God. It's really mind-blowing. And then Galatians 2.20. How's that kind of an identity change who you are? What does it mean to be adopted into the family of God? Here it is. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we're going to boil it down into a picture of what living together in Christ looks like it's that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me so we're going to talk about a lot more in the next weeks but what does it mean to be an integral part of this local expression of the church accountability in your attendance, your doctrine, your generosity, your repentance all in submission to your leaders because we've all been adopted into the family of God. And hopefully you've picked up on the fact that I didn't do much of any talking aside from those scriptures because it's not something that we made up. We're not looking to study the church in a fresh way. We believe in a very old faith. And we are not intending to change that. God does not speak to me in any ways that he's not speaking to you. Or can speak to you. Now, because I'm watching your life and doctrine closely, I'm hopefully doing it a lot more often than you are able. And so maybe in that sense, that's why you need a pastor. But I, I want you to know that this is a family family. So when you get in a fight with your family, don't leave. We still want you here. Let's work it out. How many of you don't have a dad that says something stupid? (laughs) Yeah, dads, amen. Celebrate Father's Day here coming up. (laughs) Listen, part of us doing this together is when I say something stupid, you can ask me about it. It's bound to happen already happened <laughs> that's part of the family and so as you're considering those things i would ask that you do what paul encouraged you to do that you would pray that you would pray for those of us that lead this church that you would pray for each other that are a part of this church and that together as we move forward into figuring out what those things look like fleshed out on the ground in church as we gather, uh, that God would do something not new and special, but old and sacred at Redeemer City Church. And uh, that we would be built up together as the body of Christ.